branches of the Council on Foreign Relations. Once again, sounds very official, governmental, but it's no more federal than the Federal Express. It's just a title to mislead the public. However, on many newscasts, you'll find experts being pulled up from the Council on Foreign Relations in the U.S. and Canada and giving their commentaries on circumstances within the countries. Most will think they're a department of government, but they're not. We should get that straight. They are a private organization that have sworn allegiance to a much higher body, a body comprising of, of ex-prime ministers, ex-politicians, ex-presidents. I'll be back with more on this particular topic after the following messages. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Right. Alan walked back with cutting through the matrix and going through one of the main organizations that has been promoted by a parallel government. In fact, they are part of the parallel government that Professor Carol Quigley and later professors have occasionally mentioned. Margaret Thatcher mentioned it herself in her speeches when she toured the world. The title of her seminars or or speeches were called The New World Order. They're allowed to say these things, but if the ordinary public says The New World Order, they say you're crazy. And that's just the way it is. But Cecil Rhodes, if you read his will and read the writings of his society, you'll see that he based the order on the Jesuits. He used the Jesuit techniques. It would be a Masonic, a Freemasonic order using the Jesuit techniques of psychopolitics. Psychopolitics is an interesting and vast subject where you look at the long-term range of, of what you want to do with countries, how you bring them together, how you dominate, take them over through conflict and war or treaty signing. The treaties come generally at the end of wars. And then what you're left with, you go on to build a bigger superpower and then go to war with the next countries who aren't part of it yet until you have them all under your wing. And, of course, people, the general public, would never figure this out. That's how the Jesuit society worked with their imaginations. Same techniques. And Cecil Rhodes was quite open about using these techniques. Why change them when they work so well? Simply adopt them into your system. But it would be a Freemasonic society, and they are Freemasons. And they're chartered by the British Crown, meaning they're given royal approval with a royal charter to exist, to bring, to bring this society into being. And you'll find that when they joined the Alfred Milner Group, Lord Alfred Milner Group's Round Table Society, into the, the Cecil Rhodes Foundation, they merged the two and called themselves the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Every Commonwealth country, that's British Commonwealth country, 
has uh, a member organization. They have one for Australian Institute for International Affairs, New Zealand Institute for International Affairs, Canadian, etc. But for non-European countries or non-Commonwealth countries, to be called the Council on Foreign Relations, the first one to be set up in New York in the 1920s in the Harold Pratt building. And the Pratt was a very wealthy, wealthy family uh, that helped fund this in the United States side on behalf of the big boys and the bankers who are behind it too. Now, people should check into the ecfr.eu website. That's the brand new website of the European Council on Foreign Relations, ecfr.eu, for the statement of principles, their policies, and their spiel about themselves, and how they, they use propaganda. You'll see it's very open there, and, and they use the terms of new world order and world order, etc., quite openly, because they are the main advisors to the, to the guys you actually elect into governments. They advise them. They tell them what to do. I think Brian in New York is on the line. Are you there, Brian? Hello, Brian? No, Brian. Hello? Hello. Hey, I had a question about um, Baphomet, because he's always seated with one arm up and one arm down. And I was, you know, whatever that symbolizes, I know there's probably more to it. But I was wondering if that um, Hawaiian hand signal with pinky and the thumb had any correlation with that. That's with that, you know. Uh, actually, you're, you're not far wrong <clears throat> because um, the, 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 when the, the British came in uh, and the, the powers came in to the Americas, if you read the history of Freemasons, uh, they did what they always did. They picked very powerful chiefs in, in various tribes and brought them into Freemasonry. They also took some uh, back to Britain, in fact, um, I think Bryant, Willie Bryant, was the first American Indian they brought over. He was in charge of the Five Nations up in Canada, and they brought him over to Britain and gave him an aristocratic wife to, to wed, and he was now eligible to marry within the royal circles of Europe. And he came back to the Americas, and he split up the tribes and had half of them fighting for the U.S. side during the War of Independence and half of them fighting for the British side. Then his son Norton took over, and they used a little apron. That's when they first started to use the apron in front. Uh, you'll see yeah. the, the Indians wearing that apron that came from the lodge. And, of course, they gave them the, the sweat lodges and so on and all the rest of it. Very Masonic, but they did the same thing with Hawaiian culture, too. You're quite right, yeah. Hmm. Can I ask another question? Yeah. Um, the letters G and M are uh, pretty interesting. I was reading, uh, well, I started reading Peter Wright's Spy Catcher, and Marconi's nickname is GM, mm-hmm. and uh, his father's nickname is GM, and it's also a genetically modified Grandmaster and all that. I was wondering what were like the deeper meanings of the letter G and the letter M. Well, G is also to generate. Uh, oh, G sorry. always stands to generate. It's a phallic symbol, the erect phallus is to generate. You generate the spirit. Um, you generate the power, the force, the, the vital force uh, of, of life and, and the phallus through, through G to, to, to generate. And later down the road, you have gnosis for the lower orders, and you also have um, uh, to graft. You're grafted onto the tree of life. At, uh, uh, you become a scion, an S-C-I-O-N. The pronounced scion is no coincidence, of course. 
uh, you're grafted to the tree of life, meaning you're eligible again to marry within higher aristocratic circles for breeding purposes. Oh, pretty interesting. Yeah, and if you take the letter M, the M uh, is really, again, uh, two, is comprised of, of two or two parts of a pyramid put them together. You have yeah. a complete wow. pyramid. If you underline it, it's also the letter three if you yeah. turn it up to its right. And if you put a, a line next to it or underneath the M, like McDonald's, that's why McDonald's has the M underlined, you have 13. 13, yeah. And so it's... Uh, it's, uh, it's very important. And then again, you put the, the, the letter, the underlining uh, attached to the M, turn it around again, and you've got the, the letter B. Uh, because all Masons used to say, oh, yeah. I be, now they say, I am. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's how that came about. You know? Very interesting. Okay. Well, take care, Alan. You too. And so, of course, apart from General Motors, of course, we have... Uh, we have um, gone back to the Council on Foreign Relations here on this particular topic. Here's the statement of principles from this organization that call themselves the first premier or the premier think tank now of Europe, quite openly, an unelected body backed by the big foundations, the big uh, Carnegie, Ford, Rockefeller, Rothschilds, uh, Soros, all these big foundations the, the, the very foundations that Albert Pike talked about creating, because foundations last for many generations. That's why they can take a mandate and take a century, two centuries, or three centuries to develop and complete it. That's how it's done, quite simple. But the statement of principles uh, says here, we call on the governments of the European Union to develop a more coherent and vigorous foreign policy informed by our shared values dedicated to the pursuit of the common European interests. Now, Europe never had common interests. That's why they were always at war with each other. And it really wasn't the reason why they were at war, because the big bankers and the princes, etc., arranged these wars in advance to profit, kill off the population, and keep things going. It's hard to keep controls over millions of people if there's no threats from outside. So they always had to arrange these wars down through the ages. Read the ancient Greeks. They were masters at this. Used to plan wars with the different islands and uh, decide who was going to be the victor after three or four years and roughly how many they should kill off and uh, how much money they'd profit because they also ran uh, the armament industry even in those days. Nothing really changes. So here they're talking about the common European interests and sustained by European power. And they say, we endorse the following principles. When faced by the great powers of today and the rising giants of tomorrow, individual European countries regard the world as beyond their control. But if it speaks with one voice, now here you go with this one voice thing again. I mean, I left Britain and everyone I knew was arguing with each other. There was no one voice anywhere, even the one country. But it says, if it speaks with one voice, the European Union can help shape the world order. Now, they never define what they're going towards, but it's the Huxleyan uh, world order they're talking about. Policy number two, it's only by acting together that European Union countries can effectively pursue their common interests. Again, here's this common interest thing. From combating climate change, so there's the greening again, green, 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 Al Gore's green, to reducing poverty. Now, they've been trying to reduce poverty in Europe for about a thousand years, I think. 
from defending human rights and averting genocide to stopping the spread of deadly weapons and addressing the causes of violent extremism. Number three, the European Union's foreign policy should be backed up with all of Europe's economic, so here they want all the taxing power, that's what that means, political, cultural, and as a last resort, military power. Well, they are forming, you see, the European army uh, out of the, the, the mess of all the countries that bring one super uh, military power into being. Our commitment to strong and effective multilateral institutions must be matched by a drive to increase European influence within them. Now, what on earth is a European influence? Because there isn't one, you see. You have French and Ukraine and Polish and so on. You have all these different countries with, with, who are very proud of their histories and their heritage and their cultures. Number four, starting with the European U Union's neighbors, the best way to secure peace and prosperity is to honor existing commitments to countries seeking membership and to encourage political reforms with more generous offers of economic opportunity and political cooperation. European transformative power can reach beyond its immediate neighborhood. The European Union should leverage the world's largest single market and most generous aid budgets to promote the values we believe in. I wonder what values they are. They don't say what they are. Both in other parts of the world and in multilateral institutions. Europeans will benefit from having a stronger voice in the world. Ha, ha, ha. And the world will benefit from a stronger European Union. Ho, ho, ho. And that's the kind of dribble we're fed from the mainstream media because these characters, you see, write for the big financial papers of the world. They're all big top reporters who are members of the Council on Foreign Relations. Now, I'll be back with more of this particular topic. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor. The rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Right. Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix, going through this new ECFR.eu website. Comes from Foreign Relations, the European branch, the new combined European branch, which has come out in the open. They're on their welcome to the, the site, Mark Leonard, who's a main writer, I think, for the the Economist and other main newspapers has some words to say because he's also a member of this organization. And he says the European Council on Foreign Relations is the first ever pan-European think tank. Now, pan-America, pan-Europe, and all these ideas were pushed out at the very beginning when the Council on Foreign Relations was formed. They tried to do different treat get treaties passed, uh, signing, linking the U.S. especially with various countries of Europe. They also wanted Pan-American uh, treaties signed as well, but it didn't float at that time. So here they are, a hundred odd years later, doing the same thing, because why change their agenda? They've got all the time in the world with their big institutions and finances. And they say, 
is the first pan-European think tank with a policy team in seven capitals, London, Paris, Berlin, Rome, Sofia, Madrid and Warsaw. It unites some of our continent's most distinguished researchers and analysts to promote Europe's role in the world. The ECFR is based on a belief, here's a belief here, so it's a religion, is based on a belief that in a world order defined by great powers and even larger problems, European countries can either band together and develop common responses or risk losing influence over their fates, as if they really ever had any. As Marty Artisari, Joschka Feischer, Mabel Van Orange and I explained in today's Financial Times, the ECFR has been launched to fight against Europe's tendency to introversion. Uh, that means nationalism and your own culture, and to inspire European governments to develop a more vigorous common foreign policy. The centerpiece of our launch is our statement of principles. Now, the reason I'm reading this in Canada and also to the U.S. is because we'll shortly get hours given to us by the American branch of the Council on Foreign Relations, since we've already had them appear on television as a group, as an official body advising the governments uh, in 2005 with one of the uh, a vice prime minister, an ex-vice prime minister of Canada, Manley, uh, or Manning, I think it was Manley actually, who uh, was speaking on behalf of the fact that they had drafted up the European, I mean the American integration plans and presented them to the U.S. government and the Canadian government. They drafted them up. Well, who elected these guys? Nobody. They work for the big royal families of the planet. So that's why I'm reading this one on Europe, because it's shortly to be announced here. The centerpiece of our launch is a statement of principles written and signed by 50 founding members, a call to our governments in Europe countries to adopt a more coherent, vigorous foreign policy in support of European values and interests backed by all of Europe's power, political, cultural, economic, and what all else fails, or when it fails, the military. We are now encouraging all European citizens to endorse the statement and thereby to become associates of the ECFR. You can read the statement in full and sign up here. Now, they want to get as many people joining, all the little fools at the bottom that want to have their names added to something, to use the, the numbers racket to justify uh, what they're up to. Remember that the Soviet Union was run by these types of groups, these non-governmental organizations, and they would also uh, put up lists uh, and present them to governments, lists of members, people who'd signed petitions, who demanded laws get passed and all this kind of stuff, and the government was only too happy to do so because it was always in line with what the government wanted. This is the same con game that's going on here because the heads of these organizations, the CFR, don't work for the ordinary people. They don't work for the little people at the bottom that want to become members and sign the petitions. They work for an agenda that was laid over a 100 years ago, and they want to bring this global system in, this new plantation, this new uh, system where the elite, the intelligentsia, will strut around the world and jet set around the world and keep the peasants in their place will all be numbered and chipped and all the rest of it. That's what it's all about, really. Nothing's changed, because this came out with a feudal system. Now, so they're, they're bringing invitations to the ECFR events and our Eurotalk series. You can telephone them, yada, 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 
and join them if you want to be a little number on a petition somewhere. It has all the greening in it, which is going to uh, control your lives, all the green plans. It has the new financial plans for the world all contained within it. And these are the characters that Bertrand Russell and all the big boys belong to. It's the same organization, never changes its spots, just, just uh, pretends it's brand new all the time. Their logo is interesting because it's a circle with a five-pointed star, almost like a ring that you'd wear on a finger. And they have the star with the, the fifth point pointing, not quite downwards, not, not vertical, but at a 45-degree angle, but almost down, which means basically war. That's what that stands for. Now I hear the music coming, and I'll be back after the following messages. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor, the rich get rich. That's how it goes. Everybody knows. Hi. Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix. Just going through some of this new European Council on Foreign Relations policy. They've printed up for all to see. Of course, I won't tell you the real agenda. They can't really tell you the real history either because these characters are all elitists. And I have their books from the, the 30s, 40s, and 50s with their, their global agendas, which they, they, they held and discussed annually in different countries, places generally where the average person couldn't reach. You know, these wild, exotic places that you just can't get a ticket to, they're too expensive. And that's why they, they hold them in these places. Same with all the big global meetings with GATT and, and all the other names we've heard over the last 20 years. So uh, this Council on Foreign Relations now is now advising governments which you elect, advising on foreign policy and war policies, and they're also working with the United Nations, another unelected body of people I hope people realize that the UN is not elected by the peoples of the world. It was simply signed into an agreement by certain members of governments who signed away their national sovereignty back in 45 and 46. In other words, those people were actually traitors. They belonged to these secret societies. They also were involved in politics, and they sold your countries out at the time. We've been under this for a long, long time. We've been born under it, in fact, and this agenda is simply a, a slow step-by-step -step agenda so that people can be herded uh, into a particular path with a particular destination at the end of it. Now, to go on with this publication, it's now up on the website of the ecfr.eu. They say, we will also be publishing new analysis of the situation in Afghanistan and recommendations on how European countries can mobilize more effectively 
at the United Nations in support of our values of protecting human rights. Ha, 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 tell that to the Rwandans as the UN sat back and let them all be slaughtered. We're also partners in an exciting new departure in deliberative democracy. Deliberative democracy is a new term for you. It means it's a democracy, a new type of democracy where, where, where anything that happens will be already deliberated by people you'll never ever hear of. In other words, it's an agenda. Tomorrow's Europe, which will bring a representative sample of 400 European citizens together for a weekend of debate and discussion. To find out more, all this week of our, lo- uh, of our launch, I'm guest, now this writer, remember, writes for The Economist. I'm guest blogging at The Economist's Certain Ideas of Europe. That's the name of the blog, Certain Ideas of Europe. And I'll be using the opportunity to focus on some of the key issues for example, on Monday, on Europe's foreign policy dilemma in the new multipolar world. I guess that's worse than bipolar. It must mean we're a basket case. Our launch period culminates in a big event in Berlin on 9th of November. The event will gather some 200 European policymakers. Here you go with these policymakers. Now, who are these policymakers? We don't elect them. They're sometimes in government, sometimes out of government, but always advising governments. They work for the big think tanks like the CFR themselves. 200 European policymakers to discuss the EU's relationships with Russia, China, and its role in the Middle East. The German Foreign Minister, Frank Walzer Steinmeier, has agreed to be our keynote speaker. So here you have them, you see, all together, unelected and elected, all in bed together in a private private and secretive organization with its own mandate. Now it continues, it's great to be up and running finally, and I'm looking forward to the coming months in which we'll be bringing a new voice and new ideas to strengthen Europe's role in the world. So so here you have a role for Europe, just to inform the European peoples of all the different countries that comprise Europe. You now have a particular role. Maybe one day they'll tell you what it is. For those looking for the website in other languages than English, multilingual functionality will be coming very soon. Best wishes, Mark Leonard, Executive Director. So here, here's his character, Mark Leonard. It's a lion, of course, uh, Executive Director, who's also a member of this Council on Foreign Relations for Europe. And that's the biggest organization we have on the planet uh, when they first set up their long-range strategy, when they merged the Cecil Rhodes, Rhodes Foundation with the Alfred Milner Group, uh, the Round Circle Society, Round Table Society, the debating tables, and called themselves the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they set up one for Europe to bring in long-term strategy, post pre-war and post-war, all, all agreed at the beginning, because they knew they were going to bring wars in to make it all happen and make it come together. They set up the Council on Foreign Relations for the U.S., and they set up a Pacific Rim region as well. And, and they had guys working in all countries in the Pacific areas for the last 70, 80 years. So I'll be back with more of this in a moment. Now we have Jim in Ohio in the line. Are you there, Jim? Hello? Yes. Go ahead. Hello, Jim? Hello, yes. Y- yep. Hi, Alec. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry, Alan. Um, it's occurred to me that um, 
the Patriot Movement and the 9-11 Truth Movement, um, why that's allowed to continue and not being suppressed as much on the Internet is that um, I think it's part of the Hegelian dialectic in that uh, they're expecting that sort of response. And I'd like to know your, your thoughts on that and what, what the end result would be if, if, if the truth coming out is, is the uh, antithesis, what's the synthesis in that case? Well, I'll tell you, uh, in the Toronto Star, about seven years ago, there was a, a half page devoted to intelligence in the Americas with the CIA and the various uh, groups that they have in the Americas working um, at, at one time against communism. And they said that in there that uh, in the 1950s and 60s, the CIA set up many patriot uh, shortwave radio stations um, under the guise of Christian groups that would front for them by giving out counter-propaganda against the communist uh, propaganda coming out from Russia and within the United States. And uh, to be honest with you, they've never really let go uh, of a lot of uh, these, these uh, radio networks because they were tremendously helpful for the intelligence agencies and we know uh, that, um, yeah, they used religion when the U.S. was a very religious country. Uh, there's a lot of power when you have m millions of people signed on to churches and only a few main figureheads at the top. It's tremendously powerful to control mi millions of people through propaganda. But they didn't really let go. Uh, they have never let go of anything which works. They simply changed the format. Now, in Britain, the BBC a documentary special on, on some of the Patriot groups back in the 1970s and also some of the supposed white supremacist groups and there's a one and a half to two hour documentary special and they showed you three main city um, offices or, or blocks where white supremacist groups were meeting under the guise of patriotism and they raided them and in one particular hall uh, they caught over 200 people who were inside, many of them dressed in their, in fact, in Nazi gear. It's so ridiculous, really. Um, and, and the amazing thing was, at the end of the night, they had to let them all go except two men, because they found that pretty well all the members were working for other sting operation groups. You have so many different uh, law enforcement agency groups all working on these things, that most of the people in that hall belonged to these particular groups. The two guys they actually arrested were just guys who, who walked in off the street to get a coffee free. <laughs> <laughs> so you've got to realize that, that most, uh, most um, of what they give you is for patriot. Uh, I don't see all of it, but, but, but most of it, a lot of it, in the past certainly, has been put out by the big sting operations. And I know that Bo Greitz, for instance, uh, who was on shortwave radio for quite a few years and who was always asking for members' names by telling them they belonged to the militia and they can get a free rifle if you wrote off to the government. Well, you had to give your name and address for the rifle, etc. But also told the government who you were and what your ideas were. And uh, after 9-11, Bo Greitz had been off the shortwave radio for only two or three months after a fake suicide, supposedly, and there he was on the congressional steps on television 
effort being asked who he thought did the 9-11 job, and he said it's probably those sh- uh, paranoid black helicopter seeing uh, short, uh, shortwave radio listening patriot types that caused this to happen. These were his very words. So that man was a, a shill the whole time he was there. There's other shills out there as well, and uh, they've been doing the rounds for years. So you have to be very, very careful. Um, now, I do know, too, that in the long-term uh, scenarios, the Department of Defense for Britain and NATO, now, the U.S. is part of a NATO a country, they are a NATO country, they foresee riots, etc., for the next 30 years as they bring down the standards of living and take away all the old rights that people thought they had. They expect most of them will happen in the Americas and they'll have to cause something within patriot groups to get the ball rolling, not to start, get something started so they can point to the general sheep and say, look, there are crazy people living amongst you, we can't let it go on, we've got to keep you safe. And I did, did notice that after the Oklahoma City bombing, uh, there was an immediate same uh, um, video sequence they, sh- they showed all over the world at the same time. As soon as that building blew up, and it was of guys in mixed camo gear going through a forest, and they said, these are the, the paranoid patriot types. Uh, that's what they kept showing after the Oklahoma City bombing. Every country had that clip at the same time, meaning they were given it to show, because they wanted to blame and militia types at that type at that time, and then use them as an example uh, for bringing in martial law. We've got to remember that Bill Clinton tried to pass. This is before 9/11. Bill Clinton Clinton tried to pass through an omnibus crime bill, which which was also an anti-terrorism bill, and it wouldn't wash at the time. And it was that very weekend when it was turned down. Up went the Oklahoma City Center, blew up, and it was passed on the Monday unanimously because that, that explosion happened, and they wanted to blame the militias for causing it at that time. So if they can't get what they want, they'll make the incident happen uh, to, to cause it, because they must convince the majority of the sheeple you're not safe within your own country, there are crazy people living amongst you, and we've got to take your rights away to protect you. Uh, so uh, the synthesis will be, of course, when, when, when certain groups do spring up out of nowhere, and start uh, real uh, problems. But believe you me, uh, it's all worked out in advance uh, at the top. In fact, the leaders at the top of the militias, I'm sure, will be in cahoots with the CIA and the Pentagon. Does that answer you? Yes, thank you very much. Okay. Yeah, we we live in a dangerous world. We're always given our leaders. Uh, These think tanks will take a, a, a problem or something they want to bring into being in the future, they, they, they go over all possible reactions to that thing being introduced, and they will actually train people in advance before they've even started the ball rolling. They'll train people to take over and be leaders maybe five, ten years down the road, and then give them to you. And the best way to give you a leader is to give them a build-up in the press as being put in prison for standing up for someone's rights or their own or something. This is a standard ploy they even use in movies. Uh, these types of movies, just put them in prison. Uh, the people will automatically uh, back them up. They won't question them any, any further, and they become a hero and a leader. So we've got to be very, very careful of people advocating violence. They want violence. There's no doubt about that, but they'll, they'll want it at a specific time, and no doubt uh, it'll, it'll happen when they want it. 
and they'll have it all planned out. You can't take on organized military and communication with each other and the whole of the United Nations. You cannot take them on with disorganized bands of people. So, so we've got to head this off at the pass and, and find out another way of coming at this and diverting it. We can't follow the traditional methods. They're too good at it, and they've been at it for centuries. These are old formulas. Now, I have Gary in Tennessee there. Are you there, Gary? Hello? 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 I'm here. Yes. I, uh, I don't know. I'm sitting here. I'm 65 years old, and I'm sitting here and kind of watching it like there's, uh, it's kind of like a giant anthill. They've got the, uh, the, uh, Worker ants, and they have the guard ants, and they have those attending the queen, and they have the queen ant. And uh, it appears to me it's a, like a pyramid structure that they're building. And uh, what I don't understand is how they think they are going to, uh, depending on how they build the pyramid, how they think that maybe a a dozen people are going to control the whole world because there's there's something about the human being that has a, a soul, a spirit, and a love of freedom, yep. and they try to control that. And, and I, I think what will happen is, is that the masses will just rise up and eliminate the whole damn bunch of them. Yeah, they, they've discussed all of these particular things in think tanks, too, even 50 years ago. So if you, can't, if you can't make the public through persuasion go along uh, with a totalitarian form, a totalitarian system, then what you do is you alter the people. You physically alter the people. And that's what the race towards genetic engineering has been all about. Well, that was the other question I was going to bring up was that they're either going to have to keep us sedated or they're going to have to alter the genes or they're going to have to do something like that because... Uh, I don't know. They they got an awful big uh big guy they're working against and that's called God. And I uh I don't think they're gonna win. Well the thing is you see God helps those that help themselves and you, you will have to admit that a lot of people have already succumbed to the propaganda alone, just the propaganda that the the incredible indoctrination they've had towards nothing but pleasure, pleasure, pleasure and avoid pain by all costs and uh, they're already chipping youngsters for nightclubs now they're putting chips in their arms right now uh, making them very trendy giving it snob appeal you get silver platinum gold all that kind of stuff and uh, uh, and eventually um, if you can make society unpleasant enough you can convince them to take a chip which will take away all their worries and that will be promoted hang on and I'll be back after the following messages
everybody knows. Hi. Alan Watt back with Cutting Through the Matrix in the last few minutes to go. And I think, we, do we still have the caller on the line? So here. Yes, I'd like to just mention that, that it's an interesting topic because in ancient times they used to say that the fate of God was tied up with the fate of man, meaning that man was given free will. And of course, all, all holy books across the planet always have a, a scenario, a time ending where people make choices, the final, ultimate choices that, that, that end an age and bring in a different period or a new thing, a new being even. And uh, many say that we're at that time right now. You're right with the whole picture of the, the ant hill or the beehive. It's very similar. An ant is only a wingless bee, you understand. And the ants, even in the occult, are used as those who come in after the bees have done all the work and the ants will clear out all the honey. Uh, uh, these are all symbols that they use in the mystery religion that uses nature uh, in a perfect way to describe their agenda. But the worker bees are very similar. We have the queen at the top, of course, and then we have the little drones, the priests around her, and they make the royal jelly. And depending on the food they give you, that's a very important point. You will either be part of the upper a priesthood or else you'll be a worker bee so the food itself alters what happens to the bee uh, they've done the same with modifying our food as well they're using the same scenario uh, by altering all the foods that we are allowed to eat and uh, and this was done in secrecy I mean the, the Canadian government for instance agreed to let Monsanto and other big organizations they sign secret agreements with them to test modified food on the public of Canada without the consent or knowledge of the public of Canada for 10 years. And it wasn't until it broke out of Britain, that particular part of the news, that we found out we were the guinea pigs. And I'll tell you, people are being dumbed down uh, incredibly. Uh, and part of it, I'm sure, the types of foods we're eating. Uh, you don't bring in scientists and pay them millions of dollars each per year to make a bigger a potato. Uh, what they've done uh, with all these very careful genetic selections and recombining of, of genes from different species even into vegetables, etc., is to produce certain enzymes and perhaps even toxins that will affect the human body, something they had discussed in the days of Aldo Huxley and now it's actually here. We're under war right now. And to have a sentient people who can fight back and be aware of what's happening to them, you, you need a healthy population. We're not healthy anymore, as I'm sure you, you, you notice. Well, I'm quite sure that mankind's going to undergo and is undergoing some terrible times, but I just can't help. I have to hang on to the belief myself that there's that little spark of goodness in, in yeah. people that is going to rise to the top eventually and prevail eventually. Yeah, that's our survival mechanism. We can do it in times of trouble and on crisis levels. We help each other. We've got to become human again and bring that out. And, and find out what is important to humanity. Uh, is it each other or the items that we buy and slave to buy? That's where the, it's coming down to the crunch. Anyway, for me, that's good night. For, and Hamish, my dog up in Ontario, Canada, 
And I think I heard the music there. And may your God or your gods go with you.